Welcome back to Blamo. I'm your host, Jeremy Kirkland. Ooh, season 10. If you're new here or have been listening since day one, we're so glad you're here. Blamo is a show exploring the world of fashion with the people who shape it. And we talk to all sorts of folks here. We have a massive archive of episodes on the feed with designers, actors, comedians, all sorts of folks. But it's a new season of the pod. We're back, recharged, relaxed, and down to clown. This is our 10th season, which honestly means nothing, because seasons are just a way for us to take a break to record more episodes anyway. Life has been weird over here, though, and I'm sure it's been weird for all of you, but I'm as optimistic as ever because fall always comes. So while I prepare to dive into Shetland sweaters and corduroy, here's some news. There are so many new things happening this season. We have in-person pods back, in-person events back, returning to New York, LA, we're going back to Pity Womo, we're going to Florence, we're going to London, we'll be on the road as much as we can, as long as it's safe. You know the vibe. But this week, my guest is Alex Two-Tone. Most people know him as Two-Tone, he kind of goes by both. He's Two-Tone. He's an artist, he's a director, and the creative director of the cult LA brand Born and Raised. Alex and I discuss his life growing up in the world of graffiti, his love of film, and creating the infamous video to help launch the brand Born and Raised. We talk about launching the podcast Powerful Truth Angels with Maddie Matheson, and how Born and Raised found its way into the Grand Theft Auto gaming universe. Yeah, you heard it. So, let's go! Hi, Jeremy. Good to, uh, good to meet you. Yeah. What's up? How you doing? I'm well. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all right. I've just been running around a little bit and, uh, yeah. Well, first, thanks for, thanks for coming on and talking. I want to talk to you a little bit, a little bit about yourself, born and raised, but this is more the two-tone pod because born and raised itself is probably a 12 hour marathon podcast miniseries of the amount of stuff that you and Sponto have just like created this epic world. But I do know you had a life way before Born and Raised because you were in like the art scene and the and you had your own clothing line and stuff beforehand. Like where did you kind of like first get into clothes? You know, I when I was a kid, I was into graffiti. It was graffiti was my entire life, you know, from like whatever, 16 or 15. You know, I did a bunch of different things, and graffiti was a thing like I ended up like right. really hyper focusing on, right? I skateboarded, and I was in like a rap group. I did these things, and the graffiti happened. And I got involved with this crew, and I was like, "Oh, this is it! This is what I'm doing!" You know, and I dedicated myself to graffiti. And in the course of that, um, my the guys I was um, the guys I'm in the, I'm in the crew with, uh, one of them knew a guy that started this company called uh, Gypsies and Thieves. Gat. Was, this is the night. This Hell is yeah. prime nineties, right? I'm in high school, and uh, and like you know, one of the guys knew a guy started. You know, this is like the first wave of mm-hmm. West Coast streetwear, really. And it was like Gypsy. I, I believe I would say, you know, it's not all. It didn't all start exactly at the same time, but around that time, it was like Gypsies and Thieves and Con Art and like a few other. Then there was like, you know, New York companies like Gundy, uh, uh, GFS, and PNB. And, uh, you know, I think Futura was probably doing something like there was a, there was just like this, you know, just this like murmur of what streetwear yeah. was going to be, you know, this idea of like, oh, I can make a t-shirt like that was happening. And, and, you know, these guys, the, the guys in my crew were doing, uh, Gypsies and Thieves. So like we would all be hanging out 
uh, we go down to the factory and like the guy that owned the company, Louis, Louis Polito, he, he made us all these like crazy, he made our crew, he made us crew jackets, which was just like a, a one piece pullover denim, like this shapeless thing that had my crew's name and, and gypsies and thieves logo on the other chest. And it was like, at that point I was like, holy shit. Like you, I now have like, you know, I'm wearing something like I'm wearing a one of, you know, like no one can buy. It just felt very special to me. Right. I didn't have, I don't have a, a cool anecdote for how good it felt, but it felt great. And, uh, and I thought it was very cool. And I'm a teenager and I'm like going to trade shows, you know, and, and there was a thing called the ASR, which is the action sports show. And the majority of it was like skate, surf. And then you had like cross colors coming through and like boo and these kind of really bigger, you know, I wouldn't really call them streetwear. They were just kind of like men's contemporary <laughs> urban or whatever the fuck, you know, and those kind of big things coming through. And like, and you had the smaller independent brands starting to happen. And I go to this trade show and as a kid going to a trade show, you're basically, it's like, it's like Disneyland. It's like every booth is just like, it's like, it's like, you know, thousands of people in a convention center and every booth had their own like perspective. And it's like overload of just like clothing and ideas and people. And just, it was, you know, and like, and also being too young to even make sense of it all. So like I was exposed to that early on and, you know, I, I come from a family of like, you know, my dad was quote unquote entrepreneurial and my mom is an academic. And, uh, so I guess I had this, I had, I, I've just never, I was never able to do anything, um, the way I was told, right. I never did well in school. I never, I couldn't just, I couldn't function as like a person like I just wasn't there. I wasn't present in school. And um, so, yeah, I, you know, as a teenager, I was like, oh, I want to start a clothing company, but I just couldn't, you know, I, I actually recently was going through my flat files and I found this, the original illustration for my first clothing company at like 17 that I wanted to start. And it was like, the company was going to be called On and On, uh, O-N-A-N-O-N, and it was going to have an infinity symbol and like, you know, all this, That's whatever. pretty cool. And, uh, and like, you know, <laughs> yeah, I guess maybe, yeah. Maybe, you know, maybe you should yeah. dust that off. Um, yeah, and like I used to joke around, you know, this is like teenage, like stoner humor. I'd joke around with my friends and we'd be like, I was just like, I had this friend named Sonny who was like an amazing artist. And I'd say, Sonny, draw a dragon snouted toaster fish. And he would draw what I told him to draw. And that was going to be the graphic. I just found all this shit in my flat file. And uh, anyway, so, but that's as far as I got because as a kid, I couldn't figure out how to, you know, I couldn't go to to see i could do a and b which is uh -huh. like the concept and get someone to draw it but i couldn't really wrap my head around the idea of like procuring a blank finding a silk screener like i wasn't that i was not a functional you were you were the creative right? guy you were not the admin guy right i wasn't i wasn't yeah. the production guy but it, you know if you're starting the company you got to be all the guys. yes i'm <laughs> so it's right <laughs> you gotta be all the guys all the time you gotta be all the guys and uh and you know i i didn't I didn't do anything with it. I couldn't figure out what to do. And I, and I, and I spent a long, I spent a very long chunk of my life not doing things. Mm. Um, not being able to, to get, you know, get point A to B and I couldn't get to C. You know, I could not, failure to launch, whatever you call it, I couldn't get to like, the, I just, I didn't believe in whatever it was. I didn't believe in myself. I didn't have this, I didn't have that. I just could not do it. So, um, so yeah, and, uh, and I, you know, I went through like a whole, you know, I went through so many different iterations of like, I was a tattoo apprentice and, uh, and then I, I dropped out of high school and then in the middle of that apprenticeship, 
Uh, I, I decided to go back to school and I got accepted to UCLA film school because my dream was to make, make films. And I got accepted to UCLA film and I started going to college, you know, and I was like, you know, I was like, I think I was like 24. Okay. And everyone there was like eight, 18 and like, you know, I'm, and like these guys are like these, these guys I'm in school in class with are like children. Like they're like literally like, <laughs> like literal children. Like they just let, I've been, I'm, I had been out of my house since I was like 16. Like they were like kids. And they're asking me things about the world that I was like, you guys are zygotes. Like you're like fucking, you're not even alive yet, you know? And, um, and you're making films. Like, what are you doing? But I, again, I couldn't, um, I didn't, st- I couldn't, I, I could not adapt to the structure of, of school. And I, and I left, I left, uh, I left school. I, I learned a lot at that school and learned a lot about theory, but like other things I couldn't learn. I couldn't figure, I never wrapped my head around the the mathematics of cinematography and things like that. I just, there's something I have a block with. I have like a numerical dyslexia thing going on. Anyway, okay, or so I say. Anyways, um, so I didn't. I've just taken the weirdest routes to where I've taken just like the most the most serpentine roads to get mm-hmm. where I need to go. Like I don't. It's just I've just gotten like lost along the way so many times. And I left film school. I left in good standing. I was like I can't do this. I left school. I have a tattoo apprenticeship, um, and then I start getting freelance work from people I know. I'm saying like, "Hey, can you do a logo for me?" Like, "Yeah, okay." And I start taking these like freelance jobs, and I'm like, you know, learning the computer a little bit, uh, but I don't know too much Photoshop. I remember my buddy Sonny, my 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 friend Sonny, he was like, Sonny was always like five steps ahead of all of us, mm-hmm. and I remember he bought a computer. And it was a Mac. It was like an early Mac. You know, this is, I'm, I'm old. So this is like, he bought an early Mac and I go, what are you, what are you going to do with that? And he's like, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to start doing graphics. I'm like, what? What are you talking about? Like, you draw. That's how you make graphics. You, you draw them and you ink them. Like, and yeah. you know, that's how we do this. And I remember he just started like opening up Photoshop and just like, he shows you doing the clone shit. stamp and, and I'm like, what the fuck mind. is happening? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm like, you know, I'm like, I'm feeding, I'm doing like, I'm giving him sketches. I'm like, make, make this piece look cool. And he's like painting in the piece and like, you know, photo, like, you know, and I'm just like, what's, you know, he's got a computer. What's he doing? Why is he on a computer? <laughs> you know? And, um, and so I, you know, I just, uh, well, but you're, people are hitting you up to get you to do stuff. Cause it sounds like too, you have a very good skill set of being, and I, I'm saying this cause I believe this is a skill set of just being around the good energy being around the people that are doing stuff and while it you know the route that you take to figure that out might not have been the most traditional one it sounds like all the experiences that you're getting are actually adding to your arsenal of Mm -hmm. of people and from other people that i've talked to that know of you people speak just incredibly highly of you of just like how generous you are with all your stuff and and but like you'll just be so nice to everyone and it sounds like that comes from a fact that you felt that a lot of people were like that to you. <laughs> that's, that's really, that, I mean, it's nice to hear that that's what people are saying. <laughs> that's, that's great. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, I never thought about that. I, I guess I just was, but at the same time that I, I also was positioning myself around the wrong people at the same time you know like at the same time like i was actually in groups of the wrong people trying to find the right people outside of those groups or like you know right or like in i'm in a graffiti crew and i gravitate towards like the dudes in the crew that were like a geographically closer to me and b Mm -hmm. more like-minded right which was like sunny and like my friend alan like 
you know, like I, I came up like being in the graffiti crew was like my first fraternity. I never was part of a fraternity, but it was the first thing I was a part of an organization that to this day, being a part of that has influenced everything. Everything I've done professionally has actually is connected to being in a graffiti crew as a kid. And like, I never thought that I thought graffiti would be something that, you know, like I don't actively do graffiti now, but I still draw graffiti all the time. I'm still like obsessed with like the idea of it. And I always thought like, Oh, you know, one day I'm going to pack it up and get a briefcase and fucking white picket fence and graffiti will be something I did as a kid. And it's like, no, it's graffiti's influence. Like everything, uh, everything like, you know, I'm still in touch with like all these people through it. And, you know, still connected to it and it's like and even now i see how important it is because um you know it's a very like it was graffiti taught me so much just about the possibility of scale and like the possibility of ideas Mm -hmm. coming to life you know and the possibility of like you know take having an idea on paper and being like i'm gonna take this idea now and i'm gonna make it i'm gonna do a 20-foot piece on that wall and i'm gonna spend like nine hours doing it you know and I think that was an important lesson for me is seeing a representation of myself uh, via like paint. I know that sounds no, kind of corny, but like I think it meant a lot to me as a kid, you know, like to, to see that and be like, oh, I actually, I'm here and I made that and other people can see it. Well, you're physically making and your like, mark versus yeah. now, right? If you think of a young person who's getting into art there in Photoshop, they probably have too many tools in front of them. So you're not really designing with restraints, which mm-hmm. I would argue is can be dangerous at times. And everything you make, you're just putting it out into what feels like noise. And if you start in the graffiti world, because I have a few other friends who you know were super into street art and uh, all that around New York and Queens, and they were like, no, 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 like you put it and it's on something, and then all these people are going to see it and experience yeah. it in different ways. But like you made it, it exists, it's physically on there. <laughs> like that's. It's there. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's like, you know, graffiti also is, there's a type of person, I guess I can't speak for everyone, but I think I was drawn to graffiti because of the need to, uh, like I didn't do graffiti because I was an incredibly secure and healthy person, right? Like I felt like, I think it was like graffiti for me was like a way for me to be like, okay, like I am, I matter, I'm here. And there's a way for me to have validation amongst my peers and people like, oh yeah, I saw that thing you did. Or like, oh, you're that guy? Because you meet a guy, you're like, oh, I, this is what I write. And like, oh shit, you're him? You put it together. It's like finding out, you know, it's like finding out, it's like not knowing who fucking Brad Pitt is. And you go, oh, you're Brad Pitt. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's what it was like meeting some of these graffiti, like yeah. you're fucking so-and-so? Yeah. Holy shit. And then you, then you, then it all acclimates, you know, but like until then it's all, it's all like, it's all, you know, it's a nom de plume. Like it's all fucking mysterious. You don't know who this, like you see someone's name a thousand times in the city and you're like, who is that guy? He's legendary. Look at what he's doing. And you, and then you meet him one day, you know, it's not like anything else. Like there is no other, like, um, there's mm-hmm. no other thing like that, you know, it's like where, where, where you, where the fame precedes the person, you know? Um, and also it's like, it also is like a, it's also a kid's version of like dealing with the idea of like a notoriety and, and, uh, a sort of fame and a sort of like, not that that's my, my bag, but the idea of notoriety and like, uh, being known and seen and, 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 and I guess getting accepted, right? Yeah. Cause there's a, there's a big community aspect that it feels like is in there too, which connects to every, yeah, yeah. every project that you've been a part of. Yeah. I feel like the thing behind the thing is creating a place that is safe where people can belong. 
Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't even know if I think of it. I think that that might be something that happens, but I just, it's not even like a thought. I'm not like, yo, I'm making a safe place. It's just like, oh shit, this is something that like, you know, this is something that I understand and I was a part of. Let me, let's, let's, let's bring this to life with these people and, and attach these people to it. And like, I think when it, it, the way I think the way that we've done it is that it's all been very organic and natural. We're like, oh, this guy knows how to do this. We have a camaraderie with him. Uh, we speak the same language. So let's, let's do something together. I and mean, that's really what it's about. And it's like living, you know, living in LA as long as I have and being involved in like everything I've been involved in, you speak multiple languages and you have access to like, multiple points of view and multiple different like mm. cultures you know like there's so much shit you have access to and it can be you know like born and raised because of like you know sponto and i grew up in the same place and we saw we had separate experiences we saw a lot of the same things we're able to pivot between so many different things because we've experienced all of it you know like i've been through every everything that born and raised has touched uh i've been a part of except for like professional sports you know which is like a whole separate genre right and that's a different thing, right? But like that's its own monster. But all the other shit, like the graffiti and the, the punk shows and the fucking rave shit, like I've been, it's been, it's not something I wasn't exposed to, you know, like in some more than others, you know, like the the rave thing with the power tools party we did, like I was deep into yeah, that was nuts. rave culture as a high school. Yeah, it was crazy, right? And like that was my high school years was spent, you know, I spent a lot of time going to fucking warehouse raves and like just, you know, losing my marbles. and um you know, I don't even know. I, I also am like, I also don't, like, it's not nostalgia either, right? Because yes. nostalgia is kind of lame. I remember this, yes. remember how cool that was? Like, well, you know, like, that's always like, uh, I don't think it's not nostalgia. It's just kind of like, well, I don't know. It's, someone, it's just, it's I, just, I'm, I don't know who said this, so I'm embarrassed now already. But the quote that I had read is that nostalgia is the comfort of going backward, right? Mm, so, mm -hmm you can still have things that are comfortable and you can still create things that are stuff that's remembered, but nostalgia is always going backwards, right? Like you even said it, remember, right? So that you guys do stuff that's more about, uh, it's not about going backwards. I, if, for me, like the born and raised stuff is about keeping a history alive, you know? Um, yeah. Or, you know what? Also, if it was nostalgia, it would look very, because there are people that do nostalgia. Sure. There's people that do it in music and clothing and all kinds of things. Oh, yeah. And you can see some You can see some of these guys walking around looking like, you know, fucking newsies and shit. I mean, not so much anymore, but you know what I mean? Like, Great that's film, nostalgia, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, like, you know, like, that's nostalgia. And, like, what we do is not nostalgia because it's basically in the sense that everything is cyclical. It's just the rediscovering of things that we did through what's happening now. Because everything that, everything that we're connected to... It's because kids are doing it again. It's not, you know, right. kids are involved right. in this shit again. So, like, we're like, oh, we did that. Let me show you how we did it. And they love it because we did. We were around when a lot of this shit was invented, you know? Well, there's a lot so, of teaching, too, in there. And I think that's, you know, I mean, even from other interviews and stuff that I've read, when people have asked about, oh, where did this come from? Some designers will be like, well, it came from my head. And you guys are like, no, 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 it right. came from this and this history and this neighborhood. And these people, right. and these things that were, you know, happening in our culture and, at, you know, and that that's big. And I think when when you it's funny because now a lot more designers are trying to do uh, create their brands and companies in ways that you guys started without even realizing you were doing right. Like 100 percent. And it's 
hundred percent. And I'm not looking for you to like they do talk vert- shit or or talk about how people are trying to rip you off, but it's like you can really see when you dig behind yes. things. You're like, that's just all born and raised. Like, what are you, what are you talking about? Hundred <laughs> percent. And I and I because you see the well, you got to also understand too that when Born and Raised launched in 2013, right? Yeah, there was not a there was not a fucking hint of this like this kind of like uh you know west side um i don't know i don't know it's it's influenced by a lot of shit right you know my partner was in my partner was in a street gang i was a graffiti writer we both grew up in venice uh we both experienced a lot of things all of that comes into play in how we present things and and we all we played those notes hard right out the gate but at the time it hadn't been done in a long time like no one is even using like that kind of font like you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, like that, that idea wasn't really out there. Um, you know, Callie DeWitt was doing his thing with, with the, the, you know, the memorial sweaters, you know, at the same time that we started doing it. And, but there's also a thread between like Callie DeWitt, those memorial sweaters, and Alexis Ross, who, who I'm, you know, is a good friend of mine. Like, there's just like this thread that goes through all these things. And like, you know, it's all kind of like, it's all part of this like strange, like zeitgeist of, of, la culture right and uh yeah and then when we started doing it people didn't have that point of view people weren't referencing that stuff and then they quickly a lot of people you know like i'm not saying that we created any wave or anything because things just kind of things pivot and sway and everything is cyclical and everything everything that's old has to be remade again by the new by the new generation Mm -hmm. and things always everything you know it's like everything just keeps coming back around it keeps coming back around and like i think that a lot of our community stuff uh, that we did was just based on like, this is, you know, like I have, act, I, I would just find kids, you know, we'd get some kids from Venice and I'd take my point of shoot and I'd shoot a campaign or I'd find a kid walking down the street and be like, oh, wh- who are you? Well, I talked to him, be like, oh, let's shoot you. Like, it was just like very organic. And I think that that, that played out in, in how you looked at the line in the first few years. And, yeah, I mean, and the community thing. I was going to say, you guys shot a lookbook in the hospital when Sponta was, was wrestling with cancer like that. That to mm. me, no other company has ever done something that's so personal yet public at the exact same time in the sense where it's like, okay, like, okay, Ralph Lauren, right? Homie battled cancer for sure. But he wasn't like, let's go kind of magnify this. Let's go shoot a lookbook yeah. while I'm wrestling with this. I mean, it was looking back at it now, I mean, it was really, really beautiful. I never thought about that. Like, I, I talked to Sponta, like, you know, don't get me wrong. Like Born and Raised has been one of the hardest things I've ever done because of, like, it's been one of the best things, one of the hardest things. It's like, it, it's a very, it's been very, t- it's been great and gratifying, but also very tough. And like when Sponto got cancer, we had just launched yeah. and we were like, you know, we were, you know, we were in like five boutiques around the world and we we're in like Colette and Union and we're just like, which are the you know, we ones got the to be in. At that time, right? It was like still, the union well, still. No like, more Colette, but Gibbs. I mean, he's got it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we still we still do business with Gibbs. Like Gibbs is the homie, and uh, he's the best. And like, you know, we, you know, we had five boutique. We launched. We, you know, we had this like, you know, we were in the infancy. Everything, everything in the beginning of anything, any company is like the best part is the very beginning before like money. When you don't have any money and it's just raw ideas, and you're just like. And you and you have this energy and and you do things that don't make sense. Is that's the best time for any company? Like when I when I started the company, I was like, when when Sponto approached me, I was 
leaving my other company um, and I was directing music videos, right? which is my lifelong dream was to make music videos as a kid. Ever since the MTV raps, the VH1, like all that shit, it was like, I was just like, I got to make me, I got to figure out how to make music videos. And you were doing it. And so so I, you were living the dream. I figured, I started making music videos. I just started doing it, right? I started like funding them myself. I would find an artist and be like, I'll shoot your video. I'll take five grand because I had all this money from my clothing company. I was like, I'll fucking, I was like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to work my way into directing laterally and be a PA. I'm just going to start doing it and, and I'm going to finish out my film school by funding videos and directing. So I started, I started, I, you know, I had, I had, I was very like, um, you know, if I did it over again, I probably was, I probably wouldn't spend that money, but like, <laughs> um, you know, and, uh, but, but I, I, uh, I think the smarter, the smarter move would have been to buy equipment mm. and make people's videos for free instead of spending them. Anyways. So, um, I started shooting videos. I was over the fucking moon. I'm shooting, I'm getting, I'm shooting music videos left and right. I'm doing all this work. It's, it's really gratifying. I'm ecstatic to be doing it. I'm just like, it's like the first time in my life, like I actually was like, oh, I'm actually flying right now. You know, like I'm actually like, I've lifted off. I'm flying. I mean, like, this is it, you know? And, and then Spanto's coming around and he's kind of like tracking me down through some mutual friends. And, uh, you know, by, I had already moved to Los Feliz from Venice and I had a friend of ours like, yo, this dude Spanto's looking for you. And I'm like, Spanto, yeah, Spanto from Venice. I'm like, oh yeah. And I knew, I kind of knew who he was perfectly, but we're, there's such an age gap where by the time I was leaving all that shit, he was still heavy in it. And there's a different, you know, we, we, it's like different worlds in Venice, the gangbang world, like it all intermingles, but like he was heavy in the gangbang. And I remember seeing him as a kid and being like, that kid is a fucking nightmare. Like I'd see him as a little kid at 13 and I'd be like, that kid is so like out of control, you know, yeah. him and his partner. I'd see them all the time on this fucking trampoline near my house. Anyways. So, uh, Spanto is like tracking me down. He's like, Hey, he's like, he's like trying to find me. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And I finally meet with him, you know? And I sit down with him and I have coffee and I'm like talking to him. And he's like, he's like, yeah, I got this thing called Born and Raised. And previous to me meeting him, I, the reason why I met with him is I saw a sticker that he made. It said Born and Raised. It said gentrification is genocide. And that was the sticker. And I remember seeing that and being like, holy shit, amongst all this stupid shit. Because like, I, I also am like, at the same time that it's like- an Indian a, head too, right? Yeah. And at the same time that I'm like a part of this and I'm a, I'm a part of this thing and I'm a fan of it and I'm in it, I also am like, majorly disgusted by a lot of it like i had a double-edged sword me and i'm like you know i go to these trade shows and i see all these stickers and there's one sticker there that has something to say and i was like fuck that that sticker says something that's actually like someone said something you know and there was a period of time when no one was saying anything nobody was like politicizing anything at all there's like someone being kind of political and i also understood what it meant because when i grew up in venice and it came time for me to buy a house. I was trying to buy a house and like uh, right when the housing market, I couldn't buy a house in Venice. I had to start looking at Highland Park. Like I couldn't afford to buy a house in my own neighborhood because of gentrification and what was happening. And I was like, that's fucked up. Amongst other things. It goes way deeper than that. Anyway. Sure. So I, I really related to that sticker. He's tracking me down. I sit down and have coffee with him. And he's like giving me his whole pitch. And he's a good, he's a good salesperson. And I'm like, this guy's got a lot of hustle. Like I, I, I can see it. And like he's charming and all these things. And I'm like, listen. Here's what I'll do with you. I don't want to be, I, I don't want to, I don't want to get involved with clothing. I hate clothing. I was like, I don't want to deal with this. I just got out of a clothing company. I don't want to get in the fucking schmata biz. Like, I can't handle it. And I'm like, I, I don't want to see another t shirt. But I'm like, what I'll do though is I'll make you a film and let me make a film for you because you have, I understand the world that you're, that you're talking about. I grew up there and you have access in a way no one else has access. You can get to places that a lot of people can't get to. So let's shoot that. He's like, what do you mean? Like, this is also before. This is before content became the norm for everything. Yeah. Like content is now. Yeah, it was very 2013. unheard of to do a, a film for clothes. 
hundred yeah. percent. And Instagram was just Instagram was just like I remember it was around that time my friends were like try this Instagram app. I'm like, I don't, what do I need an app for? Like it's like it's like Twitter with pictures. I'm like, what the fuck? I don't need that. It's stupid. I was like, oh, I'll try it. You know, like whatever. <laughs> and um, you know, so it's like you know, all these things happening at the same time. So I said, let me shoot a film, and I shot this film, and uh, it's a first born and raised film, and it was just like beautiful, right? It was like this like insane. Like I had this. It was like one of these, you know, it was one of those moments on set where like, where like you look over and like someone's like covered in goosebumps. Like it was like, it was just one of those things. Like his father came from Memphis, his father and mother hadn't seen each other in like in, 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 um, you know, 10 years or something. Um, his father's a blues musician and like, he didn't have a song. So like I sat down with his dad and I wrote the song like there in the spot in like two minutes. Like I wrote the song. I used to have like a song. I used to have a musical background. Like I've been playing with music for a long time, like really peripherally. So I was like, blues, that's such an easy structure. I just wrote this song for him. Yeah. He plays the song. He plays the song live, like we're recording the song as he plays it with the boom mic. Like it is just like mind boggling how, how much is happening in this day of shooting. And if you watch that film, you can see like all that stuff there. All his homeboys are there, um, guys from the neighborhood. And like, you know, and like we created this idea of Born and Raised out of this film. And I feel like that I kind of was fucked, I think, after that film because. I just was like, oh my God, like I haven't shot anything like this before. You know, like I had been shooting music videos, but I hadn't shot a piece like this. You know, I remember telling him too, I'm like, I'm like, uh, listen, just give me like three grand. And he goes, $3,000? I go, yeah. And he goes, what are you talking about? I'm like, just give me three grand. He's like, $3,000. I'm like, bro, just give me three grand. I'm, I have like a, I had like a world-class DP. Like it was, you know, um, and, uh, did he do it? Yeah, he gave me the three grand. Oh, I was like, good. just give me three grand. He was like, begrudgingly. Spondo knows how to stretch a fucking penny. And, <laughs> and uh, he, you know, he was like, I'm not, he's, he thought it was insane. He thought it was like just running game on. I'm like, dude, you have no idea how much production costs. Like, oh, yeah. 3,000 is like fucking, it's like, it's like, you get nothing for that. If you look at that film, I've seen if it. If you look at the yeah. very first one raised film, you've seen that one? Yeah. $3,000 does not look like a $3,000. I think it costs $3,000. <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, it makes you wonder about the, you know, the, um, you know, Robert Rodriguez was supposed to have made um, the first, uh, the first in that series of movies with like, you know, something ridiculous, like 16 grand and a pint of blood or something. And I've always been like, that's bullshit. But, you know, where there's a will. Uh, anyways, um, so, uh, yeah, so we made the film and then I'm, and then I'm calling Sponto and I'm like, oh, you know what you need to do is like, you get check this out. You should do this. And I call him and I'm like, he's like, why don't you be a part of this company? I'm like, no, 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 no. I don't want to do this company. Like, I'll make, I'll make films with you. I'm not, I don't want to be part of this thing. I'm like, I cannot get in this business. And, um, but then I would like wake up and be like, I got another idea. Let me, you know what? Let me just do this shirt for you. I'd be like, let me just design it. Like, I don't, I, I'm not going to, let me just show you. I'll just do it. And I started making shit. I started making shirts. And I'm like, one day I'm like, fuck, I guess I'm doing it. <laughs> if I'm already just doing it, like, I was like, all right, let's do this. And we got together and, it was 2012 and like we just like spent six months kind of like game planning and I had these and I was like, listen, here's what we need to do. Here's what I've experienced. Here's what we shouldn't do. And I was kind of like in the beginning trying to like keeping him, like getting him to think about how we were doing things outside of what he knew, right? And I'm like, no, no, no. Safety orange color t-shirt. He's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, trust me, this, this color is going to like, I would just kind of push him into things and because the some things that he was uncomfortable with in the beginning. Now, thinking about Sponto is like, he he's a, he had, he's very adaptable and he learned a lot really fast mm -hmm. right but before that happened what happened was we launch 
we're fucking i remember us being so ecstatic we did a we did a uh, thing at union we're in we're in colette we're just like we're in five boutiques we have a website we're just kind of like running things and then like as soon as that happens boom he gets cancer yeah. right this is yeah. like really quickly into our into our inception sponto gets cancer and he's like and 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 i remember us having a conversation and being like what do we do about this like do we tell people you have cancer and I remember we both kind of were like, yeah, let's just, let's just run it. Let's just let people, t- just because it's not like you could have hit it anyway. Because yeah. Sponto ended up being sick for four fucking years, like deathly fucking ill. Yeah. Like, you know, he used to tell me he looked like E.T. In, when he was washed up on the river, you know, like, <laughs> like he just, you know, he's fucked up. And, <laughs> I don't know if I'm supposed to laugh. <laughs> and, I mean, you know, and, uh, you know, but he was, it was bad, you know, yeah. and it was like, and that's what, you know, the beginning of Born and Raised was like right out the gate, we we're down a man. You know, yeah. and Sponto uh, is, he is very tenacious and he never for once stopped. Like he is a fight. He never stopped fighting and he just kept pushing through like the sickness, but like he would just be gone. Like he'd be gone for like a month or two, you know, and then pop up and like, I would just start running things without him. Well, cause doing you were visiting decisions. him and doing work sessions in the hospital room. Right. Yeah, we come up like I remember the first time I went to the hospital. See him like I brought I brought my dog in the room. They're like you can't bring dogs in the fucking yeah. you know cancer like you know, and um yeah like you just yeah so like we we kept it going and um and it was very it was very hard internally because I'm down to man and I you know I had one employee and uh, another company hired that employee away from us in the middle of sponsor being sick, which I was like wildly resentful about. Some like friends of mine at a bigger company were like we're going to take your guy. And I'm like, why would you take my only guy? Like, it's just like, well, you see, we're fucking, you see, we're like drowning here. You're just going to fucking shoot us instead of throw us, you know, um, you know, so it was, it was very tough. And, um, and then, you know, it it was like, you know, it was a long, long stretch of him Mm. recovering before he became cancer free. I mean, I think it was at least four years and, you know, it was like very fucking hard in the middle of all of that. Like I had my problem. I had some, I had some issues in the middle of that that I had to deal with. And like, I, you know, in, in the course of this company, I've gone through like, you know, every, like every iteration of, of stress, stress induced, uh, you know, mm. uh, physical and mental calamity I have incurred. And I, I don't know if I threw enough words on that to disguise what I'm, I mean, I, I basically had a breakdown on every level that, you know, like, uh, you know, like I'm sober and I had a relapse and, um, and like in the middle, like I gained like, you know, ungodly amount of weight at one point. Like I was completely like, could not, I couldn't even like, I'd never been in any, in a situation where like I was, I was holding the bag for the company, you know, uh, the guy, the guy started coming with cancer. I never dealt with cancer. I never dealt with any of these things. I didn't have any, I didn't know how to deal with it. There's a lot, you know, I get it. I know it's like a bit, you know, we, we decided to start a business, but I'm, I don't know. Well, no, I feel like everyone wrestles with that. Because especially people that started the brand, right? Because whenever, you know, when you look at any entrepreneur, right, for lack of a better term, that starts a brand and that brand evolves, generally, they're at times always clinging to what they wanted the brand to be when they were starting it. But it's like, there's all these things you have mm-hmm. to do that can get you to that next step. Where yeah. It's like, yeah, you're do collabs with these folks that it's going to help financially. And that's going to put you into a larger audience that you can do all these, you know, but it's like, I know just for a fact that every single person that does it is constantly wrestling with their own 
idea of what integrity is. When the truth is, from yeah. the exterior, it looks like you're doing everything right and you're still, you know, five years ahead of the game. Yeah. I mean, I think that, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard because we've, we've done things very organically and very honestly in regards to like how we put things out. And I think that our, you know, we were, we were kind of handicapped for four years. You know, we were down a guy, uh, it's been a lot of hard internal shit sure. to deal with, like a lot of shit, you know, and we're just now kind of operating. We're, we're kind of now operating more, uh, we're operating smoothly. We have kind of some better people in place who are like helping us. But my thing with born and raised is this, the thing that keeps me at born and raised is the filmmaking. And that's the most important thing to me. Now, uh, I don't think it feeds into the bottom line in a way that's tangible, but I know that making, having access to the things that, that we're shooting and making these films, you know, like the born and raised films that I've done, mm -hmm. like, I'm really proud of that work, you know, whether it's like the dead city punk show or the Dodgers or whatever, or the ones that we just done for, you know, we just do some seasonal film, you know? Um, I think that that's, because everything else to me is, um, you know, like designing t-shirts is, it's, it can be very tedious. It's, a, it's like, you know, I make, you know, I design six things and at the very end of it, I'm like, oh, the answer really is just to fucking draw this thing right here. You know, like I'll spend weeks on one thing and end up like trashing it, you know, and it's like such a pain. But like to turn that around, what you're doing and what your focus is, because it sounds like you're saying it almost like embarrassingly. But the truth is, if you look at every business and company now, especially the ones that are extremely successful, they're not really focused on a specific product. They're focused on building a world right. and storytelling. I mean, like right. when you look at why is, why is Ralph Lauren American culture, I'm air quoting that, like, because all they do is storytelling. Yeah, yeah. All they do is do that. And so the clothes, right. Right. in a way, and I don't say this in a negative way, they don't necessarily matter. Because you create a world that people only want to live in. And so they're going to get those clothes to stay in that world. 100%. It's like merch for the band that we're in, you know? Yeah, ex exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, and that's the thing too, where it's like you guys have also, you know, magnified a culture that I, uh, at least initially, that I think it was overlooked and underrepresented and being pushed away now into something which is somewhat ironic that people really obsess over and want to be. Like you have, Dudes in Los Feliz who just moved there, dudes in, in Venice that are like, yo, born and raised. And you're like, well, that's just a T-shirt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, and, and the idea, too, is that born and raised is supposed to be a, you know, from day one, we're like, yeah, we're obviously born and raised in Venice and Los yeah. Angeles, et cetera. But it extends to everything. Oh, like yeah. It's, born and raised is just like, you know, born and raised in St. Louis. Like, people are, you know, it's for the fucking townies and for people being like, you know... You know, it's just, it's just about the idea of like, you know, I think when I was a kid, you know, you would see these like, you know, you see these movies of a kid, of a guy in a neighborhood walking around and be like, Hey Paul, what's going on? Hey, yeah. what's up Steve? Like, yeah, the local. and you had this idea of like, yeah, like, wow, how cool is it to be a local? And like, and then, you know, it's like, it's really for the local dude, but I, it's also bigger than that too. It's just kind of like, you know, it's just this idea of like where you come from influencing everything that you do, you know? And people were like, people literally said to me, can I wear Born and Raised? I'm like, yeah, of course you can wear Born and Raised. Like, fucking buy it. Like, Dude, I, wear I, it. okay, it's real not... talk. I have, there's been more than one occasion where I was getting ready to add it to my cart and I hesitated because yeah. I was like, 
is someone going to see through me and be like, Jeremy, you know, you live in New York or you're from St. Louis. Like, you know how long it took me to wear a Mets hat? Fucking hell, man. It took me a very long time. <laughs> it's so funny. I remember being caught up in that shit as a kid and like really being like worried about, I wouldn't wear, I, I wasn't, I wouldn't wear anything outside of my exact demographic. And even like, even, even geographically, I wouldn't wear anything East coast. I wouldn't wear anything that was a skate brand. I wouldn't wear anything that wasn't specifically what I was about, yeah. you know? And then you get to a point where it's like, also, you know, the younger generation doesn't give a fuck. Like they do whatever, they do whatever the fuck they want at all times. Like they wear anything. They'll, they'll do any, they'll be a part of any culture and be anything at any time at any given moment. Yeah. You know, it's like, um, you know, it's like, it's like, it's like how the Japanese were like 20 years ago coming to LA and just kind of like inheriting every, like the Japanese would come to LA. I remember Japanese kids coming to Venice and spending the summer in Venice and leaving with like a giant Venice tattoo in their stomach, which is like only certain people in Venice get that tattoo. And like guys, thought that they spent a you know japanese people would see this and like they look at america like a like a fucking huge mood board and take it all back over there then they made it themselves and made it better made it than better. we ever yeah, did I was gonna say. made it better <laughs> but like but yeah everyone everyone kind of like you know i think that i think that a lot of uh culture i think japanese was ahead of the curve the, the japanese were ahead of the curve with like everything like kawaii cult like the culture of cuteness like that's just like part of like the fabric now of like being cute is like you know, it's like part of everybody. Yeah. Like every, like everyone's using cute emojis. You know, you got gangsters texting emojis to each other. Right. Like, right. That is, that's like, so true. Knew? Cause yeah. emojis <laughs> was all in, you know, even when people were using like Nokia 5150s, right? Like, you know, they were doing that when in Japan and you were like, you would build your emojis out of alphanumeric characters, you know, and now mm. it's the pictures and now it's like worked its way into the entire language and culture. Yeah. Um, no, yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny if anyone likes clothes ever, all roads lead to Japan. You just, yeah. you can't, you can't do yeah. it and, and, and not give credit to what they've done. Japan's fucking, Japan is literally like the only place It's the closest, it's the closest place to Mars on earth. Like when you go to Japan, you're like, wait, what? Like they, they, even the trash cans are better here. Like That's even the true. fucking... The toilet like sings you a lullaby to your ass, like, yeah. like what? Like everything is like, be- like the the Seven Eleven there has a crispy white uh, button up shirt you can buy, yeah, like you for, know, for the salary like, man, yeah, oh yeah, right. Like it's like you know, it's everything has just been like made, you know, so much better and and it's so much more sophisticated than than what uh, than what we've done um, with it. But they still culturally, you know, luckily I feel like the one the one saving grace America has and it's kind of like you know in, in fleet and i think we're gonna lose it too is is that we're still super relevant culturally like everything else we're falling apart in but <laughs> culturally we still hold relevance in the world of like you know film music and like clothing and um well not we don't own clothing but i'm saying the culture of that oh, whole thing yeah i know, you know? what you mean i, I think right, it, like, it's also a place where yeah you're right i don't know how long it will last but the lore of america and the air quote American dream and right. you know what, where the celebrities are and where, you know, a friend of mine lives in what I would assume is like an idyllic life in Italy. I was like, this is amazing. Mm-hmm. Your food's incredible. Your landscape's incredible. Like your culture is incredible. You have, you know, Roman architecture outside your door. I mean, it's beautiful. Yeah. And all he yeah. thinks about is California. Oh, and he's like, I want to surf like- in, in California. And I'm like, oh yeah, okay, but 
you know, aim higher. You're 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 I where mean, everyone I, wants to be. <laughs> I know. I know. Like just I just think about those like people living like just the architecture in places like that or like live, you know, living coastally and, and you know, eating octopus like you just like fuck can't get any better than that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you know, it's it's like a I don't know. I just I definitely have uh I definitely fantasize about that being a reality for me is like not not being here and living in a place where like living off the land on some level. You know, like that's like the old like the ultimate guy the ultimate sign of someone being like having made it now is like when you buy a farm. You know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, oh yeah, that is like, the new way to flex is to go get a bunch of land. That's the and flex farm. to get a farm. Like <laughs> like the new flex is like growing your own cabbage. You know yes. what I mean? Like that's the flex. Yeah. <laughs> which is crazy, but like I fully am just like down. That's the only way I would ever flex on it. Like I would much rather do that than anything else. Do you know, you know why? Like have a fucking, uh, do you know why it is? Why is it a flex? No. Do you know why it's like the new, like, yeah, like the new way to, to flex and to get out there? My thing is I, I purely look at it from a, from a thing of like sustainability and not, and I'm not talking about sustainability like I'm trying to save the fucking environment. I mean like sustainability like knowing that if if it, A, if the shit really does hit the fan, you can probably eat, you know, and be okay, which inevitably is kind of happening. And B, I think just for me, it's just uh, uh, space and nature, you know, like those things to me, outside of what everyone else is doing it for. Cause it is a flex. Like I don't, I don't look at it as a flex. I look at it as like some dream I have, right. you know? And I don't, I don't know if it's anything that'll ever happen for me. Um, I don't know. Cause I'm never, cause also I'm never going to move to like fucking uh, Colorado. I don't think, you know, wherever it is you buy land. I don't even know where you buy land. You know. Well, everyone moved to but, Utah. Uh, Utah had a, Utah, a 70% yeah. increase in new residents. Um, right. You know, crazy. COVID. Montana. My friend got a place in Montana. Yeah, Montana's the vibe. Buddy of mine bought a bought a spread of Montana. Just threw his folks in there. You know, he still works here, and he goes out there. It's like, fuck. But you still so have, cool. and the reason why it's like that's the thing to do now is because you still have immediate access to everything else, right? Because you have the internet right. in your hand, and also more importantly, right. you can tell everyone that you left and went. You know, like it, it tap. It, you know, taps into the vanity thing that everyone still loves or where it's like, I got out of here. You know, like no one was freaking right. out about other celebrities that pieced out and moved to, moved to, you know, wherever, because they weren't telling people about it until later. Right. right. Like, and, and now yeah. you can kind of communicate and see all that stuff. I mean, think of like, will there ever be another JD Salinger type person who just like goes away and like is remote it's like, no, because even though pe that people obsessed over that dude later in his life, you know, he, there was no, there was, he didn't have an Instagram. He didn't have some way that he could communicate through right. the channel. It was always through hearsay and other people. And, you know, it's just, yeah. I remember hearing about celebrities. I remember like, you know, randomly just hearing like, you know, like Bruce Willis bought a town somewhere. And I'm like, why is he doing that? I didn't understand it. I was like, why would you ever leave Hollywood? You have everything you ever want. You can buy anything in Hollywood. Why would you buy a town in wherever the fuck he was? And I'm like, oh, I get it now. Like you get to you get to get away from yeah this this the metropolis is just increasingly like it's it's fucked sometimes you know like you just shit like you know it's, yeah it's, um yeah I'm weirdly attracted to the idea of being upset and unsettled 
for some reason. And I didn't realize it. And I had to admit uh, it to myself recently where it was like, this is great where I'm now. It's quiet. It's I hear I went right. for a walk last night and I saw and heard right. frogs and stars in the sky. Right. It was beautiful and amazing. Right. But I was like, I still feel like I'm not in proximity of things that are cool. And right. I, you know, I don't have to worry about dog shit on the ground. I don't have to worry about like n- nothing. But like for some reason, I like want to be worried about that. Like I was in New York the yeah. other week and, you know, I was like, oh, <laughs> it's great to be back. <laughs> and like a, yeah. hot trains and, you know, all the sorts of crap that you deal with. <laughs> yeah, I feel like New York, too, is. I don't know other cities. I don't know other cities like New York that are that kind of congested on top of each other. Yeah. But there's something about when you're in New York where I've never gone to New York and not wanted to stay there. And I spent right. like in the early thousands, I spent a lot of time in New York hanging out, like just hanging the fuck out with a bunch of guys out there. And like, I just remember every time I'd be like, okay, I'm just, I, I'd be like, I'm just going to, I would start doing the math. Like, how do I stay here? What do I, I would just say, okay, I'll just get an apartment and a bike and a laptop and I'll just fucking write. And I'm just going to ride around on a bike. And I'm going to write. And I'm like, who's going to, and I start doing the math and be like, who's going to put my shit in storage? Like I would start having right. this fantasy. And then the time would come for me to fly home. And I go, oh, I'm just going to go home. You know, <laughs> like I, I, I never, I never pulled the trigger because I was like fucking scared. You know, I'm like, what if I, you know, what if I, I don't know, what if it doesn't work? You know, whatever. I was scared to move, but um, I love, I love New York. I've been there in so long, but I love that energy of like, you know, there's no place like that where you step outside and you just walk outside your door and you come home like the next day you don't even know what the fuck happened and you didn't have any plan <laughs> like you broke. can't step outside la <laughs> right you're broke and you're covered in dirt and uh and you you know you, you walk outside la and try to have that day and it's not happening mm. you have to know every you have to know like you have to know so many, you have to know what's going on whereas in new york you just like i just went to the park i saw so-and-so we went to here oh let's go over here but and then the day just goes and goes it goes it goes it goes that's true and there's so much energy at least it was i haven't been there in a while but like it's oh it's the definitely energy back. Is, it's definitely back it's back yeah yeah i mean it's it, there's nothing like that and there's nothing like the intersection new york's one of the very like la is still fucking segregated like new york is not new york is like you you're in the bar with like drug dealers and supermodels and fucking whoever the fuck else is crammed in that space with you because you all want to be in the same spot. Yeah. You know what I mean? And there's nothing like that. I mean, um, and nothing like that energy, yeah. you know? And uh, fuck, I missed that. I haven't been out there in, in so long. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, it'll, it's, it's always ready for you to come back. So Born and Raised has continued to be this, like, in all honesty, like, really incredible, like, platform. Right. Like uh, the, my friend that I was talking to, he was like, Born and Raised is really cool because it was a fashion brand that turned into a platform that makes clothes. And mm-hmm. you also are constantly still doing other things, which I think is great. Right. Like, especially with right. the podcast, right? Like with PTA. Like, what, how did that happen? Right. Because it's, it's hilarious. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. Um, PTA literally was Maddie and I met years ago. He's like, hey, can I have a hoodie? And I'm like, yeah, I like, you know, your food. Like, I like the stuff you you cook, you know, whatever. Yeah, and I yeah. gave him a hoodie and we, we became friends. Was this Vice he come Days? come to LA, Maddie. Yeah, okay. Vice Days. And he come to LA and like hang out. And then one day he's like, I'm going to do a Born and Raised uh, segment on my show. And he did a show on us, you know, mm-hmm. and we're just friends. We just goof off and talk shit. And one day we're eating, we're at Sugarfish and we're eating and it's like, and I'm like, you know, we're just talking. And he's, I'm like, you know, I always, I, I always want to do a podcast. He goes, I want to do a podcast. I go, oh, 
He goes, you want to do it with me? I go, okay. He goes, okay, let's do it. And like literally the next day, we bought equipment and started recording a podcast. Like he's like, let's just go to the Guitar Center. Okay. And he just like, <laughs> we just bought all the shit. But you went, hold like, on. You got SM7s. You got cameras. You have, you had the artwork. Well, that was, the no, that was before. Okay. This is what happened. See, this is what happened. This is, this is the funny part. We started recording them. And what happened, well, we made a big mistake. Okay. And I always give Maddie shit about this. It's like, we started, we recorded like 10 episodes. You know, like we had an episode where him and I went to Vespertine. You know that restaurant, Vespertine? Mm -hmm. It's like a high, it's like a concept, you know, and he took me to Vespertine. He knew the chef. I've never been that's, to a fucking restaurant like that in my life. a fancy place, yeah. It's insane. Like, it's like, you know, you're, it's like you're, you're eating, you know, in the galley of, on Bjork's spaceship, you know, <laughs> while like a, eating like goth fucking cricket waffle. I mean, it's out of control. Like the, the you know, like, you're eating pigeon out of a stone wheel, you know, like, like, <laughs> anyway, so like we go to Vespertine and we're recording all these shows. He's in LA, we're having fun. We record like 10 shows and then he's like, you know, it gets plugged into his machinery. He's got this team behind him. That yeah, he's doing, he does. Maddie does an insane amount of shit. He's like, well, like, we got to figure out how to put this in there. I mean, let's, let's, let's get this thing monetized. And we get with this group. And uh, these like this podcast company that like sells ad space and does all this stuff, and like you know, Maddie's like, well, here's here are my numbers for my my show on YouTube, you know, and you know, he shows them the numbers that are fucking insane, and he's like, and they and, he, and he's like calculating the revenue. He's like, what we'll do is we'll make this a YouTube show, and I'm like, well, hold on, Where, you want to do a YouTube show? He's like, yeah, we'll do a YouTube show. I'm like, fuck, really? I'm like, okay, <laughs> I did not want to be in front of, I had no plan of being in front of camera at all. So I go, okay, well, let's do this. Let's do a three-camera setup. And like, and like I designed out this idea of what it would be. And, you know, we're th we're, and, and we had this company involved, and like the company got involved, and they're like, we'll buy all the equipment. I'm like, you guys are buying? I remember like being like, why are you buying new equipment? Like I've never bought a camera in my life. I've always rented them or found used ones. I'm like, we're going to buy the equipment? I don't get it. So they, they spent all this money buying this equipment. Like they bought everything. Fucking C It's all in my closet. C-stands, camera, everything. Mike's fucking the, the, big, the big boy shit. And, um, and we, we plug it in to Maddie's YouTube and it doesn't even do like close to what his numbers do. And, you know, like Maddie's like, yeah, we're going to make, you know, like we're going to make as a, as a company, we're probably going to make like 500 grand a year. And I'm like, that sounds great. You know, wow. I'll take a couple hundred grand of that. And like, I was like, that sounds great for, for me just talking shit. Awesome. Let's go. And, uh, it didn't do that. And then, you know, we just started to get rolling and then right when we launched the pandemic hits. Yeah. So we had like. We had recorded a bunch in the bag. Um, I think we had like 10 that we made live, uh, new ones after, recorded for YouTube with the idea that we'd plug it into Maddie's YouTube and then we get monetized and blah, 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 blah. The it just didn't go you. because- That's the problem. The, the algo hits us. And um, for me, the podcast, I don't, the podcast is like, I barely promote it on social media. Like I'm just kind of like, I, I don't even, like I'm just not, I don't know. A lot of times I'm just so, wrapped up in other stuff that i'm not paying attention to what's happening yeah. you know like i'm not like I'm, I'm in the pod when i'm doing it and it's just kind of like and i put it out in the world and that's it so i don't always have any concept of it but once in a while i listen to it i'm like well this is actually funny like i'm actually there's actually some funny things happening the heavy when someone else tells me it's funny is the, gold it's so heavy <laughs> yo heavy is i just had a guest on yesterday and he was like at the very end he's like where's heavy it's like everyone heavy is just He's in the he's he's he made it into this into this podcast like he yeah yeah you're right by virtue of him being like he's like 
He's just like a weaponized schmuck. It's insane. He's just like out of control. <laughs> he, he just fucking. It's a, I have to. I have to be amazed at how good he is at promoting himself, and he doesn't. I don't think he even knows why. Yeah, well, you know, like people love. Everyone's characters. talking about him. People love characters. They He's love characters. Character. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I used to. I used to listen to Howard Stern. Uh, you know, as a kid, like you know, there was like a good like ten year stretch of like hardcore Stern oh, listening, yeah. and you know, maybe longer. And like you get the thing is like you get wrapped up in that universe. Like you literally like it wasn't even about anything that was happening, but like hanging out with those dudes and hearing them talk shit to each other. Like that was the best part of the show was like having them come in and make fun of each other and yell and bicker. Like I love that so much. Yeah. And I feel like the beginning of PTA when Maddie was here, like I was trying to build like, you know, we had, it was just like, there was just a thing where like I would basically, the way we would run the show in the beginning was I would just, I would literally like, I would, I would have, I'd build the set and me and Maddie would sit there and I would, I would just be like, I would just tell people, you know what? I'm going to leave the front door open. If you want to come be on the show, just walk in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we would just let people walk in on the show. And we just like, you know, we had the guys with the fucking lizards at one point. And like <laughs> Maddie, you know, Maddie tells a story about coming on a wall and a lizard eating the cum. Like it was just like unhinged and bizarre and really weird. And I love that idea that it was just kind of like anything goes. And then, then the pandemic turned into a Zoom pod. And so we're struggling trying to figure out how to, you know, how to bring it back to life in that manner because the pandemic is a pandemic. But yeah. Um, I think we are both heavily influenced by the idea of like, uh, of like everyday people being more bizarre than anyone else and probably more interesting. Like heavy is like, you know, like I've, I've actually struggled with the idea of having heavy on as my guest, right? Because like, I truly like, I truly like heavy is like, I find heavy, like he, he just, he really gets to me and <laughs> well, it and helps like, to I have like a I'm third be- person to kind of ref, you know? You guys, yeah. you guys are really good because the like your conversation volley between yourselves of just you and Maddie. One person's bringing the other person down to earth at all times, right? So no one ever gets too right. far, and that's like kind of like what the audience wants to hear, um, right? And then you have someone come on that's crazy, and like you can go at it with him, and then Maddie will calm right. you down, or Maddie will go at it, and you'll calm him right. down. So it always right. is some form of like Zen insanity. You know, it's kind of great. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that it's like, I worry that it just comes. What I worry when I'm doing it sometimes with Maddie is that it's just a bunch of babbling and yelling and nothing makes sense. And I'm like, who's going to fucking listen to this? Cause we're just like, bah! and like, I'm yelling at him. He's yelling at me. And I'm like, stop doing, you know, it's like us bickering for like 45 minutes about <laughs> who knows what, but you know, people like it. I don't yeah. know. People want to hang out with these two like weirdos, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's one of these things where, you know, this was just like a fucking experiment that, that snowballed into like, now I'm, you know, it's like a little over a year in, I'm like in this, I'm in the podcast game somehow. And I don't even know if I'm in it. I'm just doing it. You know, I'm putting things out. You're you know? in like it. I, did, I had no, I'm in it. Yeah. But I, I had no plan. Listen, I don't even like, I, I have no intentions of being on YouTube. Like I did not, I don't, sometimes I go, there's 65, 68 episodes of you on YouTube with your face talking. Like I had no, I've never planned on being in front of the camera in my life, you know? And it just happened. I was like, I just started, you know, I said yes. But, um, you know, I think if I had to do it over, we'd, we'd be just audio probably. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't even think the YouTube is like necessary, you know, at this point. Um, uh, yeah, what else? Um, okay, the last the podcast, thing, I, I got to make sure I talk to you about this. Yeah. Did you ever expect to see 
clothes from a brand that you started in arguably one of the greatest and biggest video game franchises in history? That being Grand Theft Auto. Uh, no, I never. That's insane. Seriously. If you I think guess, of the mass amount not... of people that play that game. Yeah, I guess I haven't thought about it. <laughs> I don't, I don't play. I used to play Grand Theft Auto and, uh, and I loved it. And there's a reason why I don't have a PlayStation in my house because smart. I'll disappear. Yep. And I, things will not get done. Like I have that personality. Same. But I'm really itching to play the game now that we have a shirt in it because I don't know. This is, you know, I, I guess I, again, like I just, I'm typically just like my, my, you know, my shoulders against the wheel and I'm just pushing the wheel and I'm not paying attention all the time to like, like there's certain things I've, I paid attention to, like the Dead City Punks film. Like mm-hmm. I was like, I, I really want to focus on this thing. And like, I really paid Like, it's not that I'm not paying attention. I just not, I don't always understand the magnitude of things because there's so much shit going on with us. Like the Grand Theft Auto is like another thing that like, okay, cool. That's Grand Theft Auto. The reason why is that nothing, I don't think anything that we've ever done with anyone else has moved the meter in a, in a significant way to where like there's a huge spike, except for like sports stuff. There's right. been like, we had like a, we had a Dodgers World Series t-shirt that like yeah, the spiked like too, crazy right? because yeah, like sometimes that stuff, because it's tied to something that's so huge that I get that. But other things like, yeah, we have a good, a good drop, a good thing, but I can't see the metrics of it. So like, I don't, you know, Grand Theft Auto, is that going to mean anything? I don't know. Is it cool? Yeah, it's really fucking cool. You know, like I love that, that that's happened, but I don't know what it's going to mean. You know, I don't know what, what's going to come of it. I have no fucking idea. I mean, you know? oh, let's see. How many active but wait a minute, there's, of Grand Theft Auto 5? There, there's, there's people, there's streetwear people. Wait, hold on. There's, I, guess, I guess it's a different, I guess there's streetwear, like guys in streetwear have characters in basketball games. Isn't that, isn't that happening? Like I, I could have sworn. That's very, uh, very new. The most, you're right. The most recent NBA 2K had like Jerry Lorenzo. And, Jerry Lorenzo. And. Uh, uh, Diamond, Nicky Diamond, was he in Yep. It? Yeah. And I yep. think a couple other I remember seeing so. that and being like, Fuck, that's crazy. That's fucking crazy to me. Yeah. If someone was like, yo, we're going to put you in a video game as a character, that I would be boggled by that. I think that's that possible that you guys would see it. I mean, they're working on the next GTA. You know, I mean, but it, right. the bigger thing is it doesn't, it goes to show you where you've like established yourself in the overall like cultural canon and the fact that, because it's not like you're an athlete and you're wearing born and raised. In the game, you're... Right you're just like kind of a nobody and you're working your way up. Right. And so like, right, right. It's become like, and that, that's what I think is the thing that makes it a little bit more significant. So like, it's the clothes that your character flexes with, but it's also a part of like the, your story as a person versus like, I just changed this and now I'm cool. Um, yeah. It's, I don't know. It's, it's that's very incredible. <laughs> I gotta get, I gotta get my hands on one of them consoles and just maybe take a weekend and play. <laughs> But I might not come back. I might just get, I might just turn into a gamer full time because I'm just like. According to Player Counter right now, I'm looking at this and the amount of people that are playing GTA 5 right now, this second, is 109,868 people. Um, right. So, but the amount of, you know, amount of people that are playing, uh, 140 million have played in 2021 alone. So. Now, is, is the new, I, I, I don't know if I should if I should like show how ignorant I am of this, but is the new GTA um 
it's not online in the way like Fortnite is, right? Like it's not it's not a bunch of people interacting. Uh, is it can. online like yeah, that? Yeah, you can. Yeah. So there's a mode where it's like just a bunch of people. Oh yeah, because I remember they were doing this thing where like they were getting gangs of people to beat up other gangs of people yes. in the games. Right? There are there are there are gang wars within Grand Theft Auto. Right. So there's like clans of gamers who get together and like go. So it's like it's like a lot of those like first person shooter games like they can get together and like oh yeah Call, you can Call hang of Duty out with people like basically that. yeah that's I mean mo- the right. early parts of the pandemic were me and the homies playing Call of Duty with each other late at night you know getting our ass kicked ah, that's so cool but, yeah yeah it looks so cool like I look at that shit and I'm like god damn it looks so good it looks so, like what are we like four years away from it literally being like a film pretty like, much it literally it's gonna look right like yeah. it's gonna be basically you're gonna and then and then then there's a the step of like there's that and then there's like when the fucking VR shit actually really hits, like when it really becomes like yeah. whatever that thing is to make it really work, once that happens, like we're going to lose, like people are going to have fucking IV bags with like with like glucose and they're just going to be in there for a couple of days. You know, like... Yeah, that's going to happen. It's going to get full Cronenberg science fiction. Like you're just <laughs> going to be in it because like there's the, the, the difference between reality and video game is going to, it's going to be like it's already blurring yeah. slightly. Like you can tell. But like, dude, they're gonna. It's gonna be like a film. Like you're gonna be in a movie, you know? Oh yeah. And yeah, right. Like it's in that. It's crazy. It is crazy. Like I want to. Like I want to get like an Oculus. You know, I want to. I want to get into this stuff, but I'm also like, I don't want to get into it too because I don't want to. I don't. I have so much shit to do. Yeah, the you know? Oculus like, is cool, but I. Like I'm like too old for it in the sense that like I've gotten sick. I had the Oculus on and I was doing whatever. I was in the Star Wars world. Oh, it made you queasy. And right. I, yeah, I got like very sick and I like nearly threw up and I got like cold sweats and stuff. It was it was not great. Um, it's like those those clips you see in those memes of like a boomer with the Oculus who like runs head first into a TV. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that was me. <laughs> it's like when they when they showed the first uh, the first film they showed the people was a train coming through a tunnel and the people in the in the movie theater literally were vomiting and screaming <laughs> like could not handle like that level you know what i mean yeah that's yeah so, we're all it's all a version anyway. all a version of that um yeah i mean I, look to wrap up um thank you so much for having me on of course this was really really good i really can't thank you enough for chatting um and hopefully we'll do another one yeah happy to i would love to that was this has been awesome all right i'll talk to you soon see you bye Thanks so much for listening. Our show is produced by Blamo Media. We're edited by Amar Lal. And special thanks to Two-Tone and the crew for chatting with us. Theme music, as always, by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like what you heard, you know the drill. Share the pod with a friend. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Do all the deals. Follow the feels. Follow us on Instagram for all the hot content. And if you want to talk to us and give us your hot take, we'd love to hear from you. You can call us at 917-267-2495. It's in the show notes. Leave us a message. We'll put it in a future episode. Or email us at infoblamopod.com. If you want to hang with us and join the Blam Fam, visit patreon.com forward slash blamo, where we have tons of exclusive episodes in our amazing Slack community. Okay, that's it from me. I'll see you soon. Catch me at your nearest pumpkin patch slamming apple cider donuts. I'm out. <laughs>